quite a crowd um, up here on the platform this morning. Um, uh, encouraging crowd. I was, um, my wife was working with the 11th grade girls. Um, I was playing host to the 11th grade young men this weekend. And uh, so, uh, Lord, I need you is very apropos for this morning um, because they are loud, they are messy, and they stink. All right? Just honest. They're not in here. So, um, uh, to the point, uh, it's just this little side story. One of the students, um, he, his, his, his shoes just, they're horrible. And so he, I, I, he had to, I made him put them outside. And uh, so Friday night, Saturday morning, about 4 a.m., my dogs decided that it was time to go out. And so I let them out, and they went out, and they're barking, and they're yelping, and they've got something cornered on the back porch. They won't touch it, but they know it's not right. And I thought, there must be a skunk or an opossum or something over there. And I turned the light on, and, and so it lit up the inside of the house. I didn't want to wake the, these teenagers up. And so I flipped on the light, and I looked over, and I went, it's his boots. They're attacking his boots. I was like, dude, you've got to do something about this. All right, this is a problem. Um, but they're loud, and they're messy. And, and, and then I mentioned that they're loud, and they're messy. But they are vital to the body of Christ. And they are loud. <laughs> and they are messy. But they are vital to the body of Christ. And, and on this platform today, there are, there are future pastors and missionaries and moms and dads that are raised, that we're raising up to, to know what is a Christ-centered home? What does it mean to honor the Lord? What does it mean to be able to share your faith? And all weekend, they've been learning how do they share their faith? How are they prepared to explain to someone how to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ? They've been trained in that all weekend long. I know that they're going to be tired, and I know I'll probably hear about what happened this weekend, probably on Monday or Tuesday when my boys come out of a coma um, from not getting enough sleep. Um, but it is such an important weekend for us, and I realize that you know it's crazy them moving in and out of the service, and they you know they take over classrooms and the entire building. We had three other churches here, one from Liberty, North Carolina, that came and joined um, to be a part of that. So it's a weekend for our students, but we've also made it a weekend that's affordable for other churches for them to bring their students to um, and to make that a resource for them. And so it's a both and weekend um, for our church. So I just want to thank you um, because of, you know, later in the service, we take our offering. I think sometimes we need to understand that part of those, where, where those resources go to. And part of that so that we can, we can host weekends like this. Um, so that we can be a part of the community. We can offer that to other churches that simply financially do not have the resources And we have some of those resources to offer to them, to be a part of that, to grow in their faith, to encourage them. Uh, So it's just been a tremendous weekend for us. Um, I I, I don't get a nap this afternoon. Um, So first service was on fumes. We'll see what today's is um, out of this morning. We're going to rely on the Lord as we continue this morning. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, 15, and 16. We were there last Sunday. And, And all week I've been reading this story. In fact, I was reading 14, 15, and 16 the week before in preparation for last Sunday. And then when we finished last Sunday, we, we looked a little bit about this story of King Asa. But the, one of the things that I came to the realization this week of what I love about Scripture, and those of you who are here this morning that may be skeptical of Scripture, one of the things I love about Scripture is it doesn't clean up all the stories. Not every story you read is all about someone who has a perfect faith for their entire lives. 
Some of the greatest stories that we teach our children also have some of the most tragic moments. David kills who? In his big moment, who does he kill? Goliath. But he also put a man on the front lines to be killed in adultery, in sin. He's also a man who we continue to read his story who recognizes sinfulness and the holiness of God. It's a complete picture of honesty. Scripture doesn't just clean it up and take those parts out that are ugly so that it can be perfect. It takes it out, it leaves it in so we can see the perfection and the sovereignty of a holy God. It leaves all of that mess in there so that we can see God moving and working. The story of Moses, his rise to power in the Old Testament. He had seasons of leadership early on in life, but he was a runaway murderer, a misfit who was later called by God to go back into his homeland and led them out of slavery. Jonah, the prophet Jonah, right? We, we love to listen to the story of Jonah. He was called by God to go deliver a message to a specific people. He runs, God brings him back through a dramatic fashion, through a great fish, spits him out on dry land, and he goes to give the message, the people repent, and Jonah's happy about it. No, Jonah's bitter. And scripture didn't take that out for us. It left us in there so we can see the hand of God moving among imperfect people. And what I love about that is it gives me hope. And what I love about that is it gives you hope. It gives each of us who are sitting in this room, and even if you're skeptical this morning, it welcomes you to the text. It welcomes you to the stories to say, not everybody in here, you turn the page into the New Testament. Jesus chose the misfits, some of them of society, and he launched the early church. Later on, entrusting that, turning that over, and equipping one who used to persecute the church to be the voice. It's a story of honesty. It's a story of the picture of a holy God who faced tragedy, who faced turmoil, who faced difficulties, who experienced brokenness. They have moments of great Goliath moments but they also have some moments that are tragic. Man, as I read chapter 14, 15, and 16, spoiler alert, all right? I wish King Ace's story was just chapters 14 and 15. I wish I could read chapter 14 and 15 and go, King Asa, he got it throughout his entire life. He figured it out. But we're gonna see this morning, Asa faces two major battles, almost identical, they're military battles. And we're going to see him handle those in drastically different ways. So I want you to turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 14. Last week we were introduced to King Asa. He's not one of those major figures that you read about very often. Um, He's not one that's in usually our children's storybook Bibles. But he's an important figure. 2 Chronicles chapter 14 that we saw last week says this about him. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of his God. And we examined last week, if you weren't here, that good is in reference to character and right is in reference to his actions. So he did what was good in his character and right in his actions according to his relationship to the Lord. In the, is the power that we saw last week, is the power of God continuing to change my character and my conviction? Because this is what we can learn from Asa. This is what we can learn from his encouraging moment is that Asa, scripture tells us he did what was good, he did what was right, he sought the Lord, he kept the commands of scripture. And he found himself growing in his leadership. 
Because God continued to change his character. God continued to change his convictions. And I want us to look again this morning at two moments in his life. Asa had come in and he did what was good and right in the eyes of his Lord. And one of the things that he did was he went into the holy places and began to remove any objects of false worship. It's a big deal because people began to bring, cultures began to bring different objects in for worship uh, into the temple, into holy places. And Asa would have none of it as a king. He said, we're going to get rid of these things. Begin to follow after and pursue the Lord. And then he finds himself, after 10 years of rest, he faces a battle. He faces, his back is against the wall in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 8. And it says, And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. He had a pretty impressive army, didn't he? You do the math. How many is that? 580,000. We'll just round up. We'll go with 600,000, all right? 600,000 warriors ready to go into battle. Then verse 9 tells us something. Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men. Somebody had the right reaction. I mean, do you realize on a battlefield or many battlefields, there is a million and there are a million and a half people about to go into battle. Chariots, shields, spears, ready to go out. And Asa went out to meet him and they drew up their lines in the battle of the valley of Zephathah and Merishah. But notice his immediate reaction. Notice what Asa does. Verse 11 says, And Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. I've often said that I I hope in heaven there's a replay of all of Scripture. Because i got to see this moment. It doesn't tell us how the battle exactly took place, but it says the Lord defeated. And in my mind, it says they fled. Something took place, and the Lord moved on their behalf, and these 580,000 are sitting back, and the Lord just goes, and they just took off running. The Lord defeated the Ethiopian army because their leader cried out and depended upon the movement of God. He said, our Lord, our God. He doesn't say my God. He says our God because he knows he is crying out on behalf of the people that God has placed him in leadership of, the people of Israel. And although they had been foolish and although they had done things in opposition to the Lord, at this point he brings them before the Lord and says, God, this is yours. Would you move on our behalf? And the Lord moves in a mighty way. So later on in chapter 15, this moment in Asa's life really continues because a gentleman comes to him with the spirit of God, comes to him and speaks words of wisdom into him to encourage him, but also to challenge him. And here's what is told to him in verse one. It says, uh, verse two, it says, hear me, Asa. And all Judah and Benjamin, 
If the Lord is with you while you, the Lord is with you while you're with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God. He's given him this teaching. And without a teaching, priest, and without law, but when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. In those times, there was no peace to him who went out to him who came in. For great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them with every sort of distress. Verse 7, but you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. The spiritual advisor is, through the Spirit of God, is saying to Asa, Asa, whether you're facing times of trials or times of comfort, you better keep seeking the Lord. Chapter 14 through 16, have no doubt about it. It is about seeking the Lord. Nine times the reference is made that either Asa or the people of God sought the Lord or there was a reference to them previously seeking. It is about a relationship with God's people and a holy God and them seeking him. He says he sought them. And I think there's an encouraging thing for us to see in these two stories, whether we're facing times of trial or facing times of comfort, that we must seek the Lord. So Asa responds to this message in the early part of chapter 15. And here's what he does. I won't read it all. He begins to clean house even more. He continues to go throughout the land and throughout the region and begin to get rid of any false idol, any false idol of worship and begins to to just get rid of those. To the point, and you can go on and study this later on, that in chapter 15, verse 16, he goes up against his own mother. I fear my mother, right? My mother is a Connecticut strong lady, right? And when she speaks, she means it. I fear my mother, And here it says, even Maka, his mother, King Asa, removed her from being queen mother. Whoa, buddy. I mean, just the title alone, queen mother Maka, all right, is removed. Why? Because she had made a detestable image to a false god. This is how committed Asa was. And scripture records this. This guy is on fire. He is seeking the Lord. He's doing what the spiritual advisors are giving him from the Lord. He's saying, hey, we'll get rid of everything. And then something incredible happens. They're given years of peace. Now, we know the Middle East is never in peace, right? Still the case today. And so they have some more years of peace. And then we're going to see a tragedy. We're going to see Asa with his back against the wall again. And we're going to see a different reaction. Chapter 16 is one of those honest chapters. Chapter 16 is one of those, not a Goliath moment, but one of those I need repentance moments of scripture. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, there's a covenant between me 
and you as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. Now, let me translate here. There's a lot going on. The north is coming after the south. How appropriate, right? The north is coming after the south. Asa is the king of the south. And the northern region has formed a new ally with Syria. And so what Asa does, in short, in a very quick summary, Asa sells out. He sold out. And here's what he did. He heard that they were surrounding Judah, not allowing things to come in or to go out. And his immediate reaction is not what he did in chapter 14, verse 11. His immediate reaction is to rely on previous covenants, previous treaties that were made between ungodly men and says, hey, we got a covenant, man. We've got a covenant. It goes back generations. You can't go against me. You're my ally. And to prove it, let me steal from the temple of God and give some to you. Let me take what's not mine and enter a covenant relationship that didn't work the first time. The tragedy that takes place to me that I believe many of us experience spiritually at times in our lives is Asa got comfortable. Asa got comfortable. For five or six years, he's had military conquest. He, he kicked his mom out of leadership uh, somehow, right? And, and he finds a spirit and a season of rest. And he's experienced great moments as a king. And he's getting a little excited, a little proud of the movement that's taken place. He believes now we're going to see through him. Because God also sent another spiritual advisor. He sent one in the victory, but he also sent one in the disobedience. And Hananiah comes to him and says this to him. At that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Have you forgotten? When your back was against the wall the first time? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord runs to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those heart who is blameless toward him. You've done foolishly in this. From now on, you will have wars. Back against the wall. Battle two. First moment, back against the wall, two to one, chariots, horses, they're coming at us, back against the wall. I rely, I trust on you. You're the God of Israel. Move on our behalf. God moves. They clean house. There's a season of rest. This battle, this thing begins to set up for some type of military ally taking place, shifting around, and he immediately responds. And Hananiah comes to him and says, Asa, you got this wrong. Did you, did you forget what God already did in your life? Did you forget how he moved when it was two to one? Did you forget what he's already done in our lives and he found comfort in the past victories 
confidence and pride. And here's how I know there was pride because verse 10 says, then Asa, after he hears this message from this spiritual advisor, then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison. For he was enraged with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. What a sad comparison 15 and 16 are. What what a sad examination of this king who was getting it right, who was following and pursuing the Lord. Pride, comfort began to creep in on him. He tries to silence the critics, doesn't he? I don't want to hear from you. Shackle him. Get rid of him. And if you go up against me, I'll do the same to you. Two instances, both of them with his back against the wall, two different reactions, same God. Seeking the same thing from Asa. Seek the Lord. Do what is good. Do what is right. Seek the Lord. Seek him. Seeking is active. It is built out of a relationship. It is ongoing. It requires energy. It is purposeful. It is understanding the need for change in our lives. Seeking at times is listening to the spirit of God and to those who step into our lives that we see in 15 and 16. 16 is a theme of the Old Testament and it is a theme of Jesus. Seek the Lord with all your heart. Jeremiah 29 speaks of this, of trusting the Lord. When we seek him, you will find him when you seek him with your whole heart. It is a picture of the old. It is a picture of the new. And seeking is done in the middle of a battle. Seeking is done in the middle of a trial. And seeking must be done in the middle of comfort. We seek God in our trials but we grow vulnerable in our comfort. We cry out to God in our trials, don't we? It's quick. Oh God, help us in the middle of this. God, would you answer this? Would you move on my behalf? And then once that's answered, we find ourselves in a little area, maybe a little pocket where things seem to be going okay. There lies lies in what to me is the most incredible question and question that really investigates our heart is who do we seek in the middle of comfort? Who do we seek when things are going well? Whom or what fuels the fire that continues to build the relationship we have with the Lord? Seeking is not a one-time event. It was not a chapter 14 event and void of it in chapter 16. It was a continuation. Hananiah says, man, when you quit relying on the Lord, when you quit seeking the Lord, when you quit... When you gave up relying and depending upon him, the fire went out. It was extinguished. How many of you in this room like to camp? Campers? Campers? I really thank the Lord y'all are more sensible than the first crowd because there was like 80% in the first crowd. I'm not with you, okay? Now let me clarify. Let me bring this down another notch. How many of you like to tent camp? All right, man, there's still a few folks, all right? I'll pray for you. 
My dad's definition of vacation, I like the best. He says, if the mattress is not more comfortable where I'm going, then why do I leave the one I'm in? (laughs) Amen and amen, right? That's me. But you know what is one of the most important things when you go to a campsite, and I worked as a camp counselor for a summer, and for seven weeks in a row, every Thursday night, we hiked up part of the mountains near the Cove Camp outside of Asheville, North Carolina, and I would take my campers, and we'd hike up, and I had my assigned campground, and we'd go over to the fire pit, and we'd dig, and we'd prepare, and I'd talk to them about how to start a fire, and we'd try to do it the right way, and then we'd always grab something we shouldn't, and we'd light the fire, right? Teenage guys, what you do? We light a fire, and it's so great. You cook on it, it's heat, and, and even in the middle of summer, in Asheville, North Carolina, there can be some cool mornings. And so you wanted to wake up in the morning and what you wanted was that fire, but you would wake up in the morning and it would be out. But there was kind of magic in the bottom, isn't it? You take a shovel and you kind of begin to turn it over just a little bit and you got a few embers, don't you? You take some pine needles and if you're really good at it, I never was, you take some pine needles and you put them right there and you, and this little fire goes. Never worked like that for me, but it's supposed to work. And you put some more stuff on there and you got your fire and you go on your morning, you cook your breakfast and you move on. You put it out, you extinguish it. The next Thursday I would come back and we would do the same thing. Build the fire, put it out in the morning, get it going, extinguish it, come back. It would be insane of me to think that the fire that we started on a Thursday, we would come back the next Thursday and dig 10 inches down and go, I bet there's an ember down there. No, it was out. Asa had a fire going in chapter 14 and 15. And somewhere in the years of the 30 through the 36th year of his reign, the fire went out. And there was no embers burning there. He's not blowing into it and saying, God, would you continue to move? He's not seeking the Lord continually. And as we had an incredible weekend with our students, I don't have them to kind of drill into in this service. But what I said to them in the first service is, students, this is an incredible weekend, but you cannot depend on March 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, or whatever the dates are this weekend, the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, and depend on those to be the spiritual fire that sets ablaze in your life 50 years from now. You must continually seek the Lord. And some of us in this room, you say, Pastor, I'm dry. It's because some of us are seeking the Second Chronicles 14 moments. And we're going, well, he moved in that moment. But are we doing what he said in verse 14? Are we doing what is good, what is right, seeking the Lord and keeping his commands? Because if we want that spiritual fire to not be extinguished, If we want that spiritual fire to continue to burn within us, what do we have to do? We've got to continue to put fuel on. We've got to continue to seek this ongoing relationship with a holy God. And somewhere, I don't know what it looked like and I don't know what took place, but there was a glitch. There was a hinge. There was a a hook, a, a moment of sinful pride that crept into this great king. And the guy who confronted him said, you quit relying on God. You didn't put any fuel in the fire, Asa. What happened 40 years ago is not what's going to breathe into you today. Now, our faith in Jesus Christ is secure without a doubt. But our ongoing fuel, the ongoing 
impetus we need to continue to grow and to nourish and experience trials and comfort is an ongoing relationship of seeking. Seeking is active. Every moment that it's referenced here, it is an active movement of God's people towards a faithful God. We cannot lean, church, Listen, we cannot lean on spiritual victories as a church of 50 years ago or 30 years ago or 10 years ago. We've got to continually come before the Lord and say, God, we don't want to be chapter 16 church. We want to be a chapter 15 church. We don't want to be chapter 16 followers of you. We want to be chapter 14 and 15 where we seek after you, where we do what is good, what is right. And we follow the commands of your heart, Lord. And we don't want to stop. We don't want to put the fire out and come back next week. And I would even say one of the great faults that we have, that I have, I grew up in church and man, I expected every Sunday to get the fire restarted. But how much greater would the fire be ablaze if we lit that fire every single day? If every single day we we poured onto that fire God's word, what if we poured every day seeking the Lord? What if we were active in growing in that relationship and we stepped back into this time of worship? How much greater would our worship and our admiration and our desire to serve the Lord be if we didn't just depend on the bookends of the week to start the fire? Man, this has been a convicting three chapters. It's been a convicting three chapters because I think all of us have seasons of life where we go through the trials and we cry out to the Lord and he answers our plea and he moves on our behalf and then we get comfortable and we get vulnerable and we're no longer prepared for the battle. And trust me, if we're comfortable, the battle is right around the corner. And Asa wasn't ready for it. But we must be. We must seek the Lord, do what is good, do what is right, and keep the law and his command. Whatever we seek gives us hope. Whatever we rely on, we must trust. Whatever we spend our time and our efforts on in our seasons of comfort is what is preparing us for the future war. Does that make sense? If we're spending our time on things in our time of season of comfort and we expect that to prepare us, it's preparing us for a certain type of battle. And if we are not in our times of comfort preparing by continuing to nourish and to grow and to seek and to put logs on the fire, then when those times of trial come, we find ourselves wandering and searching and looking. But I have great news for you. If that is you this morning and you're wandering and you're searching and you're looking, scripture is full of examples of a God of forgiveness. A God of repentance and a God as Hananiah and as Asherah come to him and they say, if you will seek him, you will find him. If you will seek him, you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart. Who or what are you seeking in your times of trials? Who or what are you seeking in your season of comfort? Because in those seasons of comfort, 
you're getting prepared for a battle. And it's going to come. I pray we're seeking the Lord and his commands, doing what is good and right in the eyes of God. Let's pray.